0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, Heal and Inspire. If you've watched the Scuttlebutt for several seasons, you may remember a guest from a couple seasons ago, Krista Anderson. She is a Gold Star wife, but was also a spouse ambassador for AER, the Army Emergency Relief. Well, today's guest is Sean Ryan, who is the Director of Communications with the Army Emergency Relief, and he is also a retired Colonel from the Army. We talk about Sean's long history of service, why he decided to join, uh, his family history of serving, and why he works for AER now. Not only that, we get a lot more into the Army Emergency Relief. Uh, really incredible um, nonprofit. It's the only nonprofit for the Army. Uh, it was founded in 1942 by Secretary of War Henry Stimson and Army Chief of Staff General George Marshall. AER is charged with relieving undue financial stress on members of the force. They provide zero interest loans, grants, and educational scholarships to servicemen and women their family, and uh, we get into a bit of how you can go about doing that if you are a current service member, what you need to look into, uh, and why AER is so important uh, for servicemen and women to know about. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode with Sean Ryan. He has uh, some extensive uh, history in service, and I think you'll enjoy hearing about all the things that he was up to while he served and how he went from a private first class all the way up to Colonel. Um, I know I was very interested in it, so I hope you enjoy. Please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know when we release new episodes. And if you have any questions or are interested in contacting Ryan, please connect with me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Enjoy the show. Joining us today is Sean Ryan. Sean, super excited for you to join the Scottlebutt today and talk about Army re- Emergency Relief. Um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Sure, uh, thanks for having me, Sean. And
1: uh, yeah, I've been with army emergency relief going on a year now uh, after nearly 30 years in the army. So I spent uh, four years enlisted, came in during desert storm. And, uh, like most soldiers never planned on staying more than four years. I, almost everyone says that I've never met anyone that says, yes, I plan on making this as a career, yeah. uh, you know, within the first couple of months of being in the service. So, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up doing my last 25 as an officer and, uh, mainly as a public affairs officer. And I had amazing jobs, the Army was was amazing with me and uh, no regrets there, I, I love serving my country, uh, had five deployments, uh, went on all over the world, spent six years in Europe. Uh, it was really, it was a great experience for me. Uh, the education they provided as well. Uh, the opportunities are endless in the Army if you seek them out. And uh, they really pay off in the end. So I'm very happy to have uh, retired. Uh, no regrets there whatsoever. Uh, and I'm very excited about being with Army Emergency Relief, uh, the official nonprofit of the US Army. So I basically just took off a uniform and slid right into this new position. Uh, into a polo. After, yeah, <laughs> after, two, after two weeks or so being retired, although I did have a couple months of vacation afterwards. So I was ready to get back to work because I'm used to moving around a lot. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so it's a great organization. And uh, as a young, the private first class in the early 90s, when I joined, uh, I was still in college. I I joined during Desert Storm, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually had to use Army Emergency Relief. Uh, My mother-in-law got ill and I had to fly from Germany back to Colorado. And uh, I did not have that $1,000 uh, flight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> payment to make. And so they gave me a, an interest-free loan and I flew back and then I just paid them back afterwards and it worked out great. So it's, it's great to be part of this organization.
0: Awesome. Um, there's a lot that I want to kind of dive into about your story before we get to AER. Um, so first, you enlisted during Desert Storm. Um, now, why did you enlist? You know, Desert Storm was going on.
1: Uh, I was almost complete with college and uh, I grew up in a military family, um, a third generation. You know, I just felt compelled uh, to go do my part, as a lot of people say. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't quite work out that way. I will be completely honest with you. I went to basic training and and then uh, some additional training after that. And I flew to Germany. I was literally a private first class. I did not have my degree. If you had your degree, you would have come in uh, what they call a specialist in E4, but I didn't have it quite yet. I was a couple of classes short still when I left and I flew to Germany. They told me basically, hey, Ryan, don't unpack. I said, okay, Uh, wait around for a few weeks, you know, working and things like that. But uh, as it turned out, they said, no, your unit is coming back uh so you're not going so mm. i was like okay well that plan didn't exactly work how i thought it would yeah <laughs> uh, but i was already over in germany and uh you know i worked over there i had had a great unit and uh you know it just continued from that i i did decide if i was going to make the army a career at that point i was going to finish my degree and, uh, and I did that within the first four months of being overseas. I was able to finish a couple classes. Did they and, upgrade uh, you to specialist crew. then? Um, no, it doesn't work that way. Hmm, okay. uh, and so basically, yeah, actually, you know, I went from private first class to when I retired. I was a colonel in 06. And probably making specialist was the most difficult rec that I had to do. And the reason behind it was all these folks were coming back from Desert Storm. And I was the new guy. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of, you know, privates and private first classes, they only had so many openings uh, to be a specialist. And uh, I wasn't it. You know, I I had to wait in line and and wait my turn. And, uh, you know, of course, I asked and they're like, hey, Ryan, you have to make an impact here first. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that and eventually did make a specialist and sergeant. And then I went on to officer candidate school.
0: Very nice. Uh, So who in your family served?
1: Uh, My grandfather served, and then my my dad retired from the Army after about 24 years out of uh, Fort Carson, Colorado.
0: What did he think whenever you beat his 24-year mark?
1: (laughs) Not only did I beat his 24-year mark, but I also, he retired a lieutenant colonel, and I retired a colonel, so that was a little... Uh, you know, elbow jabbing within my own family that, hey, you got to be you at least have to stay in long enough to beat And Of course, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's not how long you stay in. It's it's, you know, the promotions happen based off, uh, you know, what you did. And and again, openings and just timing. And there's a lot of things that go into it. But uh, it was very satisfying. He actually did. Uh, my wife pinned me and my kids pinned me, but he was also there to uh, to do opening statements. And uh, he served in Vietnam too. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. he didn't even see me until I was nine months old. Wow. Um, so he he told that story, which, you know, as a son listening to your dad he, telling a story that you haven't really heard, it was pretty mm-hmm. interesting because uh, some things you you just didn't hear and you didn't know. So he he gave a great opening uh,
0: speech and it was very nice to have him there to to help celebrate that day. As a civilian myself, I am kind of always interested in this. Does that is there anything, you said it was sort of like an elbow ribbing there within the family, but it, once you outranked him, could, did he ever feel like, well, dang, I can't tell you what to do anymore? <laughs> or could you pull rank and be like, you're doing the gist tonight? <laughs> no, I, I did tell him a couple of times, I'm like,
1: look, Lieutenant Colonel, <laughs> this is how it's going down. Uh, but no, he, he did Give me a very nice salute when I pinned on the, um, mm. you know, the bird and uh, the colonel, and so that was very nice. It was a good moment. But uh, yeah, we, you know, we actually don't talk a lot of uh, military. Uh, now that he's getting older and he's, you know, made his scrapbooks and stuff, he he shows me all this stuff, and you know, much like a lot of folks, probably I, I find out more and more about him as time goes on because mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't quite the World War II generation where they didn't speak at all. But uh, the Vietnam generation, you know, they came back to a different uh, era. And uh, it wasn't like when I would come back from deployments, I would have um, people lined up and, you know, cheering yeah. and saluting and shaking your hand and, and wishing you well. Unfortunately, that didn't happen with a lot of the Vietnam vets. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's been a while for him to open up. Uh, but he had, a, he had a great career as well, as I, as I see. And was your grandfather Army as well? he wasn't he was actually merchant marine so as a different oh. time frame yeah my my wow. uh, my family originally is from Plymouth Massachusetts mm-hmm. um and then matter of fact we ended up in Colorado Springs because my dad was stationed uh, at Fort Carson and then uh we just stayed I, I stayed the rest of the time and I grew up in Colorado Springs as well mm-hmm. uh and now that I'm finished with my military career I'm back in Colorado Springs uh because it's it's home but yeah they uh, he did the Merchant Marines uh, off the water of, of the Plymouth Shores. And, and so it's it's a good Ryan legacy. He, you know, he just spent a couple of years, but... Uh, and they were know, just... Combined,
0: sorry but, to interrupt. They were they were just um, uh, awarded or commended for their World War II service. Is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah. So we have, you know, just the last three generations, we have about 60 years combined.
0: Wow. So I, I think that's pretty good. That's very good. Um, and I'm sure he was happy that, that your dad was happy that you didn't go Marines or... You know. <laughs> Any of the yeah, No, I I stayed army. I stayed army. That's great. Uh so, so take me a bit through your service before we get to AER. Uh, okay. you know, desert storm, you know, you're in Germany. Um, you decide after four years you're gonna you're gonna stay on. Um yeah. you know, how did the obviously 9/11 that's sort of my you know my generation coming up through things shifted a bit. You you started to get into some deployments. Um, you know, how was how did your career progress?
1: Okay, yeah, it's uh it progressed slowly at first. Uh, getting into officer candidate school was was difficult. And again, going back to the, I was the new guy and yeah. you need recommendations. And, uh, you know, hey, I'd like to go to officer candidate school. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't really know you, Ryan. So you have to make, you know, your way in. And so I used to ask, hey, what do I have to do? Number one, to, you know, to make rank and two, to get these recommendations. And uh, and basically they're like, hey, you have to do really well at, in physical, you know in pt and actually i had i was a runner in college and uh so i was able to take my pt test and, and score very high uh and then i i started going to soldier boards um uh, and then i ended up being the the user yeah, united states uh army Year soldier of the year and then i i had my degree and so i started you know, accumulating all these things that they told me I needed uh, to get recommendations and, and to get promoted. And then after that, it, it started happening really quick. And mm-hmm. I, I end up making uh, a matter of fact, I was supposed to go to soldier of the army board. And uh, but I had an opportunity to go to a primary leadership development course. And once you pass that course, you'll pin on uh, sergeant, which was Uh, Very important to me because it was very important coming from a private first class and then making specialist and then making sergeant. I wanted to attend officer candidate school already as as a buck sergeant, as they call it, uh, with some experience and then go. So I bypassed the board um, and I went to school and I did pin on E5 uh, before going to Fort Benning officer candidate school. Uh, And then once I left officer candidate school, uh, I went to school at at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And then my first assignment was, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. And, uh, yeah, under the first infantry division. And, uh, I really enjoyed Kansas. It maybe it was because I was, I grew up in Colorado and it was more of a, you know, mid mid States type, uh, you know, place, but Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Manhattan, Kansas and, and Junction city, Kansas, and, uh, the surrounding areas I could drive to Kansas city, um, in a About less than an hour and a half, so I really enjoyed the people. I I enjoyed Mm -hmm. the culture, Uh, and then after that, I got orders for uh, for Germany. Yeah, and so I became a commander uh, in Germany, a company commander in Germany, and uh, yeah, the story. Matter of fact, the day that I I left uh, company command, usually it's a great day because you've you've done two years. Uh, as a company commander, you were in charge of soldiers, which is, you know, the the highest honor you can have in the military. And I had, I had an outstanding first sergeant. Uh, We're really close. We still are today. And uh, it was, it was a great experience Uh, because of the time difference. I did my ceremony in the morning and I had orders to go to a different part of Germany, which was Heidelberg, Germany. And I drove there. I literally moved into my new residence, uh, turned on the TV and Big sigh of relief, hey, my command is over, well executed, had a great time. The first plane hit the Twin Towers and my life and everyone else's forever changed after that. It was a very uh, tenuous situation because first of all, I felt like there was nothing I could do because I was in Germany and Mm -hmm. this just happened in New York City. And I just had one of the great mornings in my career, and then to come home and and that happened was was yeah. very devastating mm-hmm. uh, we didn 't know what to do how to support it from from germany so that was that was a big deal as well and uh you know obviously you know it it was tragic on on many levels, but the feeling of uh helplessness definitely you know, Rose and, and me, and uh, it it was a it was a great day to one of the worst days in the history of the U.S. So that will forever um, hold true in my mind. Uh, but we got through that. I will say this: the German people were very supportive. Uh, they they laid flowers at the gate because, of course, everything was locked down because we didn't know exactly what was happening. So we went into stealth mode, right. you know, right away. And but they're very supportive. And then I spent probably another nine months in Germany and then I came back, um, to the United States, to the East coast, um, right outside, um, Washington, DC. So, um, yeah, career, career press or progress from there. And then, uh, I soon pinned on major. I was a captain at the time of nine 11, mm-hmm. I pinned on major and then, uh, I, I made a big career choice. I was, uh, I, I decided to go into the public affairs field and, um mm-hmm. uh, so I did that. I went to school at, at Fort Meade, Maryland. And uh, my first assignment was Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, which I thought, hey, you can go back home. What can go wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, so up to that point, I had not really deployed. And I had a boss. Uh, I, because matter of fact, when I was a, a commander, I was supposed to go to Bosnia. And, but I already spent my two years as a commander. And they said, no, the big boss wants you uh, working for them. And I was like, I'd really like to stay because those are my soldiers. And they're like, no, you're, you're going to work for the big boss in Heidelberg. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just how it is. So I missed out on that. But my boss did tell me, hey, if you stay in the army long enough, you know,
0: that you'll go. So every,
1: everyone will give blood sooner or later in, in a good way, not not in a bad way, but you'll, yeah. you'll go. And sure enough, I came back home, I bought a house and literally two weeks later, I was on a plane to Baghdad, Iraq, yeah. and uh, before I knew it, I was part of the surge. Fifteen mm-hmm. uh, month deployment. I was uh, in eastern Baghdad, so I was uh, I was right in the thick of things. Yeah. Um, it was it was a very difficult deployment. A uh, lot of we weren't sure if we were coming or going for the first three four months uh, before mm-hmm. General Petraeus decided uh, you're staying longer. And not only that, we're we're plussing up uh, the soldier base with you know thousands more, Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's kind of what happened there. Uh, It was a very, it was difficult period. We lost, uh, I lost 65 guys in my own unit during that 14, it ended up being 14 months. I was with uh, uh, the second infantry combat team, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was the time when uh, IEDs were were really the big uh, destructive force that we were dealing with, and we were learning every day, you know how to deal with that uh but i learned a lot i learned my trade uh public affairs and uh i i worked under i mean i worked under a very young uh vincent brooks who was a one star at the time that went on to be a four star uh general odierno was a three star at the time uh mm-hmm. general petraeus led the war uh, i mean i couldn't have learned from a better group of yeah. military leaders uh to this day so I was indoctrinated very quick and very fast, uh, but that was my new public affairs career. Right. Uh, I would leave there later and I would go to grad school. Uh, the army was nice enough to send me to fully funded grad school, yeah. which I did not turn down. And, uh, and that was a great experience, kind of getting away from the war and kind of, um, I was never injured. I, I probably went on missions three to five times a week. Uh, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to not be injured um but I, I will say this coming back is difficult uh because even when you're driving you know i'm looking at potholes differently than how you look at potholes well uh, Pittsburgh
0: has at, some big potholes but yeah, i hear you on that yeah, i'm looking
1: yeah. at you know curbs uh painted yellow that's one of the things i used to do is take out a section of the concrete of a curb and they would put it back, uh, lace it with some explosives and and put it back styrofoam and then paint it yellow. So I, you know, I learned loud bangs, you know, I had to deal with that for the first couple of months. So there was definitely some, uh, some inside a healing that I think every soldier, whether they want to admit it or not, has to, has to deal with. And I will say this, the American people were, were fabulous. Uh, We would get uh, boxes from them with, you know, magazines and shaving cream and, I can tell you this, early in the early days, we didn't have like a store or anything. There, you know, whatever you brought is what you used. So it, it sounds simple to if you hear this, but you know, people would send razors and, and shaving cream and deodorant. And it was well needed and 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 loved. I mean, we those are great days when we got mail. You yeah. just can't underestimate <laughs> receiving mail. And it sometimes is from a perfect stranger. I didn't know who it yeah. was. And, and we'd get letters from, from kids and you know, drawings. I used to put those up on my wall and things like that. So um yeah. I really do thank the American people uh that you know there is a big big disconnect, I think, between um, you know, the American people and the military. I think only you know less than seven have, percent have served in, in the military. So sometimes it's tough to understand what we're going through, but they know yeah. that we're there to, you know, protect the interests of the United States. But I, I can tell you we I was always fully supported uh, by the American people, and I, I can't say enough about that because it really made my uh, deployments go by faster, knowing that we had that support. Um, great. So after that, I'll fast forward a little bit. I went to go teach at the Public Affairs School for a couple of years, and then uh, and then I got picked up to do a fellowship uh, in in public affairs or uh, at Google and. Mountain View, wow. California. So that, that was a big deal. Uh, yeah. I went to, at the time, Google, uh, not that it's not today, but Google was just named, you know, best company in the world to work for, for I think the third consecutive year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be a part of their program and to see how they, how their corporate you know, relations worked with with other companies and people was was very eye opening and something that I could bring those skills back to the army uh, to help them. And so my next assignment was the public affairs officer for the first infantry division. So I went back to Fort Riley, Kansas, which of course I loved because I liked it. I liked it the first time I was there as a lieutenant. And uh, you know, you you go back to the same type of environment and i worked for uh general paul funk who's the now the trade-out commander four-star uh he was a two-star at the time and also for sergeant major grinston who is now the sergeant major of the army so i mean again going back to i had tremendous leaders yeah to show me the right way and and how things are supposed to be done and so i you know it just kind of things snowball from there and you Mm -hmm. hang out with good people and and good things happen. And, um, and then we got deployed. So we're part of uh, what they called CJTF. It was combined joint task force Mm -hmm. in Baghdad. So I went back to Baghdad and was the uh, public affairs officer there as well. Uh, I came back from that deployment and I had orders, uh, believe it or not, once again, for Fort Carson, Colorado. And uh, I went to go work for the 10th special forces group and at Fort Carson for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then, my third year there, I went to lead uh, the world-class athlete program, Mm -hmm. which uh, gets army athletes ready for the Olympics. So I was one of the coaches and and I ran the PR efforts there, which was Mm -hmm. a big deal because we had the 2018 winter Olympics. And then of course Mm -hmm. you have a lot of international competitions. And from a PR standpoint, that's what that program is all set up for is to, to highlight that we have soldiers that can compete at the highest levels uh, and matter of fact, in 2016, uh, Paul Chalimo won the silver medal in the 5000. So that was a, mm-hmm. that was a big deal uh, for the program. And it kind of uh, jump started them to yeah. in other events. Uh, yeah. So from there, I got a call again from General Funk, and he was the third corps commander out of Fort Hood. And he said, hey, Sean, you're you're coming with me. And even though I wasn't part of them, I went back to Baghdad, Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, as the spokesman for the war in Iraq and Syria, working wow. for general Funk. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he calls, you go. yeah uh, and we we had uh, that conversation in his office when he was a two star, and I was a Lieutenant colonel that, hey, if I get deployed you know, we're, we're going to work this thing. And so I went over back to Iraq again, but you know, it was great because I went back and some of the same people to include the Iraqi generals and some of the folks I worked with at the uh, Baghdad embassy were still there. So I had a little bit of a different job, but there was still some familiarity with the whole situation. And, Mm -hmm. and one thing about when I went in 2014 was ISIS had just uh, become a stronghold, and they had just taken over. So I witnessed that firsthand. Wow. And then I can tell you, on the day I left as the spokesman, we took uh, the last bit of land that that ISIS held. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I literally flew out that night. Wow. So it was, it was very rewarding because how often do you see, you know, the beginning of a fight, and then you actually see the end of a fight? Right. Uh, so that was very rewarding for me as as an army officer. And um, as the spokesman, it it was great. And then uh, I came back to Colorado Springs and uh, I started the public affairs office for Space Command. And so, uh, yeah, so it was uh, just down the street at Peterson Air Force Base. And it was a big deal because it was brand new. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the ceremony at the White House. Uh, in the Rose Garden. So Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, there I am just some kid from Colorado, you know, that came in a PFC, I'm sitting behind, uh, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and Mm -hmm. it's the president, the vice president, my boss, and the Secretary of Defense up there, you know, talking about Space Command. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm right there, you know, and I was walking around the White House in in full uniform
0: and uh, had full access. It was, it was, it was a great moment. It's one of those uh, things where you're just like, it's a, it's very surreal. It's yeah. Just like, yeah. Like where you've gotten to or where you're at, you're like, I'm, I'm standing here right now. How did this happen?
1: Yeah. And I'm taking photos of like the Washington Monument from the White House grounds. Yeah. So it was pretty surreal. And, uh you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you back or who, what your beliefs are, when you're in the Rose Garden at the White House, it's, it's a great feeling. And you're like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is why we're such a strong country, Mm -hmm. uh, because all the history and, and the strength that we have. And so it was a great moment for me in my career. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I was, I was going to do one more assignment. I wasn't sure exactly. But uh, I decided, you know, I was, they were talking about maybe sending me to the Pentagon and I was already in Colorado Springs and this is where I wanted to retire. Right. And so that's when I decided, you know, it's it's time to go. And uh, I, I put in my retirement paperwork and and then uh, I retired and then
0: I started working for Army Emergency Relief. I have a question because this season of the podcast we had on the TAP program.
1: Okay, um, yeah.
0: And I was wondering, did you use the TAP program when you transitioned out? Uh, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, yep pretty much everyone has to.
1: And and it was, yeah, it's a great program. And uh, I mean, I thought it went very well. I mean, it's a lot of, uh, I I think when you're a retiree, uh, it's a little bit different because uh, you've gone through a lot of things. There's a lot of folks that use it that, you know, maybe just spent three, four years, five Mm -hmm. years in in the service. So it's a little bit different for them. Uh, But yeah, I had a great experience with them and it was very easy to transition out.
0: Oh, good, good, yeah, and we had on, I believe, the uh, like the director of that program uh, earlier on in the season. So, for our audience, if you haven't watched that episode, go back and watch it. Come back for this sort of semi sequel, um, Sean. This is uh, got an incredible career, um, and and now you're on the scuttlebutt. So, I mean, where <sighs> do you go from here? Uh, <laughs> I, I can only go down from here. Is what, what I'm thinking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, thank you for, for filling us in on that, because I, I'm sure there's, there's a lot that we could dive into with any piece of that, uh, being public affairs, having that sort of access, understanding how to communicate, w- what's going on. Um, th- there's so many things we could dive into, but let's get into AER, what we actually came yep. for, but uh, thank you for the history of, of just your incredible, amazing career. Uh, but let's, let's dive into AER, and if you give me a bit of uh, information, maybe some history on what AER sure. is, why it's there. And, um, and what the programs are on offer. Sure, so this is a also a uh, very historic year for us. Army
1: Emergency Relief is uh, it's our 80th birthday. Oh, so it's, happy birthday. We, yeah, we started in 1942, uh, Chief of Staff of the Army, uh, and it's for soldiers, helping soldiers. So, mm-hmm. you know, 1942, they had a lot of events. They had Irving Berlin, This is the Army. Uh, then they had a movie with, you know, young Ronald Reagan, a Lieutenant Ronald Reagan, uh, and some other actors. And, of course, all the funds they would have would, would go to support the, the military, the Army. So it was mm-hmm. great. And uh, we just kind of continued the tradition. And it started off, you know, small. Uh, Soldiers Helping Soldiers, but now it's morphed into over 30 different categories. Uh, AER offers uh, zero interest loans, it offers grants, and it offers uh, scholarships to both military spouses and their children. So, And when I say scholarships, I'm talking like military children, almost 3,000 scholarships we we awarded. And both of them combined Right around twelve million dollars. So mm-hmm. it's not some rinky-dink operation. These are these are major funds, mm-hmm. and it's all due to the generous donations of of uh, soldiers, retirees, uh, some outside uh, great Americans, and, and then some corporations as well. Yeah, so, I read that.
0: Uh, sorry to interrupt. I read that it, no. uh, AER has provided two billion dollars uh, to mm-hmm. nearly four million soldiers. Yep. And, and since 9-11 alone, it's it's provided one billion dollars. Yes. Um, and yes. that's it's, it's very interesting uh, because it, you don't realize how many soldiers may need this. Yep. I mean, and we try to stay at what we call
1: the tip of the spear, uh, like we we just put out a program. if you're in Eastern Kentucky and you're affected by the floods, please mm-hmm. please call us. Uh, with the baby formula shortage, uh, we couldn't pay for the formula itself because that's something that uh, the tricare that covers military has to pay for but we will cover like your shipping costs so okay. there's programs like were they part of the 30 plus categories absolutely not but we'll like we'll almost you know make up a category to support you um uh, and whatever your needs are so there's there's things like medical uh we'll pay for families cranial helmets if their kids need them and maybe it's not covered by you know whatever medical insurance you have Uh, Army Emergency Relief will step in and, and pay for that type of thing.
0: I always find it interesting and this is um for our audience uh our, our previous guest a couple seasons back Krista Anderson talked a bit about AER and I think I had a question and during that podcast which I'd like to ask for you Sean as well is that sure. you know BBC where I worked the nonprofit, you don't really usually correlate a nonprofit with the army so how did how did that become to be this relationship between AER and the army I believe it was you know it was instituted um created but why does it serve as, an, as a non well back in
1: 1942 there was a lot of soldiers that needed help and so that's they actually put it in the regulations so to this day we're part of the regulation matter of fact our board members are active duty army uh leaders to include the the vice chief of staff the chief of staff the sergeant major of the army Mm -hmm. so we have yearly kickoffs um and what we do is we go and try to receive donations to to cover some of these costs but that's how it started was in 1942 when when soldiers just needed help uh i mean these back then it was just was just men but nowadays of course we have you know it's it's a melting pot of of our society that they're in the military um so it's definitely morphed from from 1942 and if they need help with just about anything um they can receive it so we it started off as being an internal because back then you didn't have all these other nonprofits that, you know, now you have wounded warriors and you have all these other nonprofit, you know, probably 500 plus uh, nonprofits that cover different things for different individuals. Uh, For AER, we cover active duty soldiers and retirees and their families. So we don't cover the maybe the person that served five years in the army and then got out because there's other organizations that do cover that, uh, those type of things. Um, so we do stick to the active duty and, and uh, retire. Try not to like step on
0: each other's toes.
1: On right. Right. Done. And yep. we will help out, uh, you know, anyone that's been medically, uh, you know, discharged for any reason as well. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stipulations, but there's, we also realize that, yeah, we don't want to have fracture side with the other organizations that, that are there to to fill those, uh, missions itself, but but that's kind of the background
0: of it. Now, how do how does someone go about getting funding or getting a, a no interest loan?
1: Okay, so it there's over seventy offices around the world. Uh, so at most installations, there'll be a, what we call an arrow. It's an Army Emergency Relief Officer. So there's offices around, and there's also if you go to our website, uh, there's you can click on sites within 50 miles of you. So maybe maybe you are in eastern Pennsylvania and there's no army base that's really that close. It'll tell you like, okay, who you need to go through. You can also call uh, headquarters Army Emergency Relief in Arlington, Virginia, and they can take care of you also. One thing I did want to note too is, of course, we are called Army Emergency Relief, but we work with all the other services aid societies. So if you're Navy, you can come in and talk to an Army Emergency Relief Officer oh. and they will hook you up with the Navy, with our equivalent at the Navy. So it doesn't matter what service uh, you're in, we all work together and we will get those uh,
0: situations handled for you. Um, now, scholarships are a little different than financial assistance. So right. financial assistance uh, within that sort of realm are there different programs? Is there different assistance types and levels within just just financial assistance?
1: Yes, there's the uh, Mrs. Patty Shanshaki Scholarship, and that's for Army spouses. Uh, and then there's also a, a General James Ursano Scholarship for Army uh, children. We call them children, but of course, if you're college age, it's I don't think they like to be called children. But <laughs> yeah. basically, that's how you're classified. Uh, as long as and there's stipulations as well, and it, all of our things are. Or need based so that's a key word that we use is it has to be needs based um, to receive it, but like I said, we give out over twelve million dollars in scholarships and we've done this continuously for for the uh, quite a few years now uh, so it just depends on what category that you're looking into but one of the things that AER does is if you say you get in a car wreck and uh, maybe it's you know you don't use your insurance or somehow there there's some issues with the insurance. Uh, we will give you like either a grant or a a interest-free loan to help you get that car fixed. Maybe it's just, maybe it wasn't an accident, maybe, and it has nothing to do with insurance. Maybe uh, your engine broke and you're a a young, you're a 22-year-old PFC, just like I was, and you don't have $2,000 to fix your car because you don't make that much money. You can go in and they'll set up a, a program for you, either a loan or a grant, And then interest-free and you'll just pay, you know, whatever, $110 a month until it's paid off type thing. But we'll help you get that fixed. So like I said, there's over 30 categories and it really encompasses a lot of things. And it just depends on the situation. Everyone's situation is different. And that's kind of how we approach everything is everyone's different. It's not cookie cutter. It's not, hey, you have to, you know, your car has to have this certain engine, you know, to break or it has nothing to do with that. We'll, we'll yeah. take each case on an individual basis and, and try to help
0: out the best we can. Yeah. We're not going to help you for your 91 Corsica, but you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, and I was going to ask that because how is needs based assessed? Like, do they take a look at your financial snapshot? Uh, yes. You know, does it matter what rank you are, things like that?
1: It doesn't necessarily matter what rank you are, but you know, there is a, um, you know, we, we track every single transaction. So we know who the main focus is mm-hmm. uh, that, that come into AER. And, w- you know, one thing about uh, government pay is it's, there's no secret. You can go online and see exactly how much they make. And and we already know all that. So we do have financial, not AER, but there's financial counselors within the morale, welfare, and recreation departments of the army. They can actually sit down with each soldier and break down their financials and and say, hey, this is you know where you're you're getting into some trouble. Mm-hmm. And so to answer the question, it's like needs based means, okay, we're we're gonna take a snapshot of your financials. Yeah. If you're driving a, a 2021, you know, brand new Mustang, okay, that's a life choice. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we handle that a little bit different than like I said, hey, my uh, you know, my 19 uh, 1999 Camry broke down and and I need help, you know, of course, if you're an E4 or something like that, you know, we're more than happy to help and it's, it's a very quick process now one thing that we have done is we streamlined everything. Uh, and so there's two ways to do it, I mentioned you can go see your uh, arrow your army emergency relief officer, but you can also go through your chain of command. Uh, in the chain of command, we have what we call the Quick Assist Program, and that's when the first sergeant and commanders uh, can authorize anywhere from two to three thousand dollars automatically to get you situated. So they don't—they will eventually go through AER, but it can be handled at the lowest level, and that's what we're
0: trying to do: is handle everything at the lowest level. That's great. Um, now, as for like people that are going through financial difficulties, are there uh, does AER only offer? Uh, like loans, or does they offer financial assistance as well? Somebody, a counselor that could sit with you and and sort of work with you on, um, I believe Krista called it the life binder, um, trying to make sure that, you know, you're you're following a much better procedure of working with your finances and what you need to do to like be successful.
1: So every installation or every post uh, usually has a financial counselor or advisor that a soldier can sit down with and go through all their their expenses, you know, what they have coming in, what they have going out and, and come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that information, if the soldier authorizes, can be shared with, with AER. We don't ask for that necessarily. Uh, that's what the chain of command will do as well. as mm-hmm. Because if you're my soldier, I know you better than anyone. So I can, I can call up AER as a commander or first sergeant and say, hey, you know, Sean needs a loan. I've gone through his financials. I have them. Uh, but we need to get this authorized because he needs help right away. Like maybe, you know, maybe you had a death in the family or, or an illness or something and, and you have to get back now. You don't have time to waste on, you know, hey, my grandmother's ill. Um, yeah. You know, I don't have 72 hours for, you, for everyone to figure out, you know, this process. It, it's, it's a quick streaming process. Yeah. And uh, we'll get you that money to get that plane ride home so you can take care of what
0: you need to do with your family. This does sound like a, a bit like the army decided like we we don't we, we need our soldiers where we need our soldiers. And if they're right. dealing with something financial for whatever reason, let's get this taken care of and buttoned up quick so that we can get them back to where we need them. Right. So mission
1: readiness is is our number one priority in, yeah. in the army for sure. And you know, times have changed and, and today's no different. So we know that every soldier has to be mentally and financially ready. In order that for them to be deployable and ready to complete their actual mission mm-hmm. at hand, so that's one of the reasons that AR exists too, is to, is to get you on board, and and make that something that maybe you have the weight of your shoulder, you know, the world that on your shoulders, and as something that we can help out and assist with, and get that taken off your plate, so you can actually worry about you know what you're doing overseas somewhere in some place that a lot of people may have never heard of. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't want that soldier thinking how am i going to pay my bills you know how how is my family going to get through the rest of the month yeah um they can come to army emergency relief and we can help that out and so going back to what you said it is very internal uh the, the, it started off as a as an internal program and it remains internal to today and the reason is this if you go to any military installation and you drive outside the gates you're going to see payday loans you're going to say you know mm-hmm. come come to us for a loan and you know the The issue is, look, we're in America. Those places are not illegal by any stretch. However, Army Emergency Relief is offering zero interest loans. These specific institutions are offering, you know, 30 to 40%. And if you don't, you know, pay within, you know, two weeks, then it, the interest keeps compounding. So we don't want that to happen. Again, we want and it's not that we want to know everything about a soldier because, you know, everyone has, you know, their limits and we're not trying to get into, you know, people's personal lives. But mm-hmm. one thing, the stigma that we're trying to get across is if you need help, ask for help. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. Yeah. And, you know, we want to get you that help so you can go back and worry about the mission at hand, not, not all the you know, extra factors that are going on in mm-hmm. everyone's lives because everyone has them. And uh, you know the other thing is they're called emergencies because you don't expect it, yeah. and so and that's part of our name is Army Emergency Relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, are everything emergency nowadays? No. Uh, one example I'll give you is we have uh, pet transportation assist now. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you don't have a pet, then maybe that doesn't sound like an emergency to to some people. But I can tell you, if you have a pet that's been in your family, they are a part of your family. And you do not want to receive orders for anywhere in the States or anywhere overseas and be like, hey, you know what? This country charges $2,000 for me to ship my pet. And then they're going to be quarantined for 30 days. I can't afford it. Okay, I simply can't afford it. So I'm going to have to find... You know, a family to, to take my dog or my cat or whatever it is, right. and we've kind of put our foot down on that and say, no, please come to us. We will help you. We'll give you a grant or we'll give you a loan, and we want you know things like that. We want your dog to remain in the family. Yeah. So there's a lot of different categories, like I mentioned, that that AR uh, delves into to try to help the soldier in any
0: way we can. Fantastic. I I have two cats that I think I clean up throw up every single day. So if anybody wants <laughs> them. <laughs> Welcome to them, uh, but uh, speaking of these other companies that you know, so you drive off the the base and you see all these billboards. Uh, understanding that they have higher interest rates, and if somebody were to default on a loan, how does that sort of work? If if they're offering, z- if you're offering zero percent interest on a loan or a grant, how are these paid back? And if the soldier ends up not being able to pay it back, what's the what's the recourse?
1: Well, that's the tie-in with uh, the fact that. Uh a lot of these companies know that that paycheck is guaranteed. Yeah. And the you will eventually um you know have to pay for for what you bought. I mean, it's either mm-hmm. going to buy um, an allotment or something like that. To, maybe you didn't start it, but you will do it because that you're you're a military member, you're an army soldier, mm-hmm. um and you know one of the things about being in the army is you know, you will be responsible for your actions, yep. and so eventually, you will pay for that uh, in in one form or another. Either you know, you the company can do a legal allotment and, and get the money from you. Um, and listen, there's a lot of great companies that that have high interest loans that that you know, if you use it, it's not a bad thing if you pay it back on time. But right. the issue is when you don't pay it back on time. Yeah, um, and The problem that we see is that we're trying to, again, you know, we we talked about keeping things internal and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a generation where they're not used to that. You know, they're like, oh, they're trying to pry into my business. And it it really has nothing to do with that. We just don't want you to be worse financially off because you can go into a place and get, you know, oh, it's only $500 to, to carry me over for the next two weeks. Yeah. But then, when payday comes, you don't have that five hundred dollars to pay it back, yeah. and that's where the problems, you know, start to happen. And and yeah. that's when, you know, maybe your chain of command is now taking a bigger uh, approach to you. And and one thing about the soldiers, we want to be known for what we do on the battlefield or in training. We don't want to be that person where. Oh Sean Ryan, yeah, that guy has a lot of financial problems, and I'm spending you know all my time trying to fix his problems versus mm-hmm. worrying about the mission and right. so no one wants to be that person so um but again it there's there's a little bit of a stigma with with some folks, and that's what we're trying to to get over and and demonstrate to them that there doesn't have to be um uh, like I said, asking for help, don't let it get too far down the road. Um, before you ask for help and then a lot of folks that maybe don't know about us, even in the army will be like, I wish I would have heard about you sooner. And uh, we're like yeah we wish you would have too," because we don't want anyone to go through that we want to, uh, you know, to make as easy and, and simplest process as
0: possible. Say a soldier is deployed and and uh knows that you know, oh boy, the wife and kids they're they're back home, and they're having some problems. Can a spouse uh blue star spouse can she come in and be like, uh you know, hey, my kid broke his leg, we can't get the financial aid like it, they're able to do this sure i mean uh, and I'll say that In the army we have something called the family readiness
1: groups which is called the frgs and and krista may have brought that up in during her time um there's groups that will look out for things like that and to make sure that yeah your family is taken care of and 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 it's unit specific but if you need something financially yes they can come into ar and and seek assistance as well Mm -hmm. so like i said we're soldiers helping soldiers we've been doing it for 80 years i think we do an amazing job and um
0: That's why we're here is to help them. How do donations work? Since it's a nonprofit, uh, do you take donations from from civilians, from uh, you know, servicemen? How 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 does that all work out? We do with uh,
1: service folks. We have, like I mentioned, we have uh, a kickoff every year. That's not the only time you can give. You can give twenty four seven. Is a kickoff Uh, like a
0: gala? Is it? Is a it is kind of like donation drive.
1: it is it's we try to have like a three month donation drive time frame yeah um to where you know uh we'll provide the the arrows with like this year alone we had um one installation had a hot wing contest Uh, you know they others have had bowling competitions uh another one did an obstacle course Mm -hmm. uh we've had 5k color runs uh so it's very they've been very creative on on how they get people together Mm-hmm. Um, to try to get folks to donate, and you can donate by a lot man. You can donate online, which is we're trying to make streamline that process. Uh, eventually by phone, you know Venmo. So we're trying to keep up with you know the, the times uh, yeah. because of course old days is hey you fill out this a lot man. And okay nowadays, you know the younger generation does not want to do that. That they operate off their phone. Right. So if you can't do it on your phone they're not going to do it and and we realize that so we're trying to keep up uh, we do do newsletters out to the retirees as well um, and then we also have it's small but we have a, a department that will uh, seek corporations and a lot of times corporations will come to us so we just received um, you know matter of fact one of the programs we have is uh, financial literacy and we had uh, AUSA uh, give us a million dollars and so how it works is this: every soldier that has a loan can go online and they can take a financial literacy test. And if they pass, they can get uh, for E4 and below, it's $200 off their loan, and for E5 and above, it's $100 off their loan automatically. All they have to do is just pass the financial literacy test. Um, it's a multiple choice. And so we're doing things like that where we work with corporations and, and the specific donation will be earmarked for that program uh, because we're trying to get people, you know, you take the class and you learn. It's about a 45-minute, um, you know, online uh, class, and it'll, it'll kind of teach you a little bit more about finances, and then you'll take the quiz afterward, and then, you can put that quiz credit uh, towards your loan. So there's always things like that that we're we're trying to think of and working with companies to do mm-hmm. to try to get everyone financial literate. Because look, if you look at our education today, um, you know the the days when you know you'd go to PE and maybe you'd have you know your teacher telling you about how, how to you know write a check or things that doesn't happen anymore in our yeah. society. We 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 did away with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So now we have you know 18 to 25 year olds coming into the army they've never written a check they've never done a budget they've never had anyone say hey you know this is how your credit report works and and this is how you know having a higher score works to your benefit you'll get a lower you know loan rate and things like that we just don't have that anymore so yeah. uh, you can say what you want but i think it's amazing that the army has taken that on and saying hey we're going to make sure our, our soldiers are at least educated uh, mm-hmm. to a certain degree so they can live life and and not, you know, make mistakes every step of the way. So it's kind of like a parent, you know, you don't, yeah. you know, your kids are going to make mistakes, but you're going to do everything you can for them to avoid those mistakes. And that's how I look at the Army as being is, mm-hmm. even with me, you know, they. Hey, you know how can we help? And you know what do you need to know about? And you know they they help you make these life decisions that yeah. maybe you don't have anyone telling you how to do it. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's a great thing. Uh, you know it's generational as well. Sometimes you you know you assume that people know this, yeah. and uh, you know I have two boys and and they're grown now, but they make mistakes. So I'm like, how did you not know that? And then I'm thinking, how would they know that? Right. Um, because <laughs> even though they went to college they never had a class on, Mm -hmm. on, you know, how to buy a car, you know, what what are the steps to buy a car. Um, So in the army, you know, you'll have your sergeants and your NCOs, you know, kind of teach you that even if it's on the side. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you can go to financial classes, and it'll teach you, hey, this is how you buy a car. And this is, this is why a a lower rate is more important to you, because you'll pay less money. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's a, if you go buy a car, there might be someone offering, hey, it's a 84 month, Loan mm-hmm. for some people that fits their, their budget, but they also have to understand you're paying interest for 84 months versus right. maybe 60 yeah. months. Mm-hmm. And so, what are the what are the differences and what are the challenges and what works best for you? And like I said, I'm never gonna knock in on any company, you know, trying to sell something um, because you know our soldiers today have things that you know they maybe would never have because maybe the the period is a little bit longer and they can afford it. So it's not always a bad thing either, but I just want them to understand, you know, the difference between a 60 month loan and and maybe a 72 month loan or an 84 month loan or something like that. Totally. And I think that's where the army helps. Yeah. And if you, if you get into financial trouble, like I said, the army has financial counselors. And then if you need help, that's what uh, army emergency relief was. was
0: The whole reason we we're built is to do things like that. And we've, we've sort of... Uh... Uh, landed on a lot of like the car themes, but uh, for those listening, uh, there's many different things that AER covers, and I have the the list pulled up here, and I'm just going to go over some of them, so uh, Mm -hmm. some of these might pop out to you if you're listening. Emergency travel, uh, natural disaster preparation and evacuation, mortgage, rent, and initial deposit, temporary lodging, food, health care not covered by TRICARE. Um, We mentioned vehicle costs, utilities, uh, funeral expenses, basic essential furniture, Um, which could probably be looped in with like PCS travel, permanent change of station. Um, you mentioned cranial helmets. Um, There's appliance costs, childcare seats, dental care, home repair, non-medical attendant travel, uh, in uh, invitational uh, travel order. Clothing, special needs, medical equipment, uh, spouse relicensing and recertification, child care. Uh, there's, there's a lot more than obviously, you know, just the car, but the car was a good, a good way for us to sort of get into the conversation. There's many different avenues that if somebody needs this assistance, probably best to go to your chain of command, talk to ERC if they can help you.
1: I can tell you that the, probably the, the rent one is the biggest one, the first mm-hmm. month. So <clears throat> you have to imagine that, like, we have Southern Command in Miami. If you haven't been to Miami lately <laughs> it's extremely expensive mm-hmm. so the army may even give you you know they do give you money when you pcs when you leave one duty station and go to another it's you know probably a couple thousand dollars which back in the day it covered most expenses but yeah. if you go to Miami right now and you go get a one-bedroom apartment it's probably 3500 and they want first last month first month last month and maybe a deposit 3500 so, a month yeah all of a sudden you're being asked for $9,000 and the army does help, but you know, the army can only do so much as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, where are you going to get that help? And then you walk in and there's not a curtain to be found and it's Miami, you know, Mm -hmm. the sun's out every day. So it's, it's little things like that, that, um, a lot of folks, if, if you've been in the same house, uh, for many years that you kind of forget, but if you move like every two to three years, like we do, um, you know you walk into some places that are bare bones uh yeah. they don't have they don't have anything so you're literally trying to you know using bed sheets on on your winch on your windows until you can get some curtains you know mm-hmm. you're you're doing the best you can but uh, the more expensive places the more difficult it is so that's where ar helps as well so that's probably actually the number one request right there
0: awesome um, Sean, uh, I, I want to, uh, as we wrap up here, I want to see if there's any any an additional things that we may not have covered about AER.
1: Uh, I think we covered a lot, and uh, like I said, there's there's different programs. Uh, I I want to reiterate uh, that every case is individual, and every case is is a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. So just because you may see a category on there, uh, don't automatically assume that we can't help. Right. Uh, because we will find a way i mean our motto also is unofficial, but it 's find a way to say yes, and mm-hmm. I can tell you like last year we probably had a decline at a twenty five thousand request. we probably declined four to five wow and and maybe the person already had multiple uh requests in you know because you can only do so much as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something like that. Or maybe they, they just didn't qualify. They right. weren't, you know, active duty, uh, retiree, medically distra- you know, that type of thing. They just yeah. didn't fall under the requirements, but we find a way to say yes. Uh, because army emergency relief is, is here just to serve soldiers and to help them out and their families. So I definitely want, you know, anyone listening to know that. And also that we truly, truly, um, appreciate the support of the American people Mm -hmm. uh, in all kinds of different ways. Don't think that your letters are are not being read and your cards are not being read and um, the well wishes. And, and when people say you're in our thoughts and prayers, you know, I know that I felt it. And so I I appreciate everyone out there that supports the military, not just the army, the, all the military. Uh, And I understand also we need to bridge the gap uh, between civilians and military because, like I said, I, I was military for almost thirty years, and, and now I'm a civilian, mm-hmm. and I mean, it happens that fast, and yeah. I'm back in in the population, and um, you know everyone has their life going on, and everyone's busy, uh, but we truly appreciate uh any time, you know thoughts, prayers, donations, whatever it may be that that they' bestowed on the military, and it, it wasn't it didn't go unnoticed, I can tell you that.
0: Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time today and for giving us all the information uh, that that you have about AER. I hope our listeners will check them out. We will have the link to the website in the description below. Um, And if you are a first-time listener of The Scuttlebutt, Thanks for listening. You can find all of our episodes across podcast platforms or on YouTube. Please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell so you're the first to know when we release new episodes every Monday. And if you have any questions for AER, I'd be happy to uh, pass you on to Sean or a representative of AER. You can email me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Sean, again, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure and an honor. Yep. Thank you, Sean. And like I said, I will answer all questions. If, if you have any, feel free to send them my way.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being D&D Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction, and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's D&Dautosalvage.com. Thank you so much to D&D. They've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, The second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit, and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.